listening. Most of us already know the chorus by heart. God can do anything but fail. You may be seated. Sing a uh, song number 280, 282, right? Hiding in the. Oh, say. Oh, oh, oh. 
Samuel and then Kristen and so everybody's getting a bit older some people want to get older some people don't want to get older um, $2,000 was given to Grace Baptist Church from your donations and the church that was a blessing and I appreciate your folks uh, sacrifice for that uh, now you're leaving this afternoon to go to a short two-week trip is that right yes you okay and then uh, Carmen's leaving uh, Wednesday for a short Kind of a long trip back in November. Francis is going to catch up with her at the end of September. Come back with her in November. Uh, Mispa left Saturday with Larry to the Philippines, coming back on the 17th. And uh, they'll be all shot by then because it's a long, kind of like the way it works out. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of people are uh, taking uh, trips this month, so pray for them. Uh, Junior's back from working on the cruise ship for another four weeks. He did say that people are quitting on the cruise ship. They sign up, they go to training in Maryland, get in a cruise ship, and they quit after four or five days because the work is too hard. Imagine that. And so he said, they're looking for workers. Anybody want to go on a cruise ship, work 24-7? It's not so glamorous, but he says, people are quitting. It's a union position. So uh, you get paid pretty well. Um, let's see. September is already here. Did you know that? Please know this about September. This month is National Happy Cat Month. Did you know that? I mean, like, who cares? Um, also, on the 13th, it is Kids Take Over the Kitchen Day. Did you know that? Not a bad idea. Um, International Talk Like a Pirate Day is on the 19th. Who cares? And on the, looks like the 20th, National Punctuation Day. Who has time for these things? I think the 17th is a grandparent day. <laughs> so I'm, it's not here. 17th is grandparent day. That's a, that is a good day. That is a real national holiday, grandparents day. You know grandparents do a lot of work? Yes, they do. They don't get a lot of sleep, but they do a lot of work. Uh, I want you to know about this man named John Craig on the 3rd of September, in 1740, listen to this just for a minute here about church history. A man was commissioned to come to the Shenandoah Valley, Scotch-Irish guy, to plant churches. His territory was 600 square miles, uh, and he would travel by horseback along with his children, and he would walk to church and allow from his farm and allow his kids to laugh and play along the way. And some folks didn't like that because they're not supposed to have fun. But he let his kids have fun and adventure along the way. 
And uh, John Craig worked hard among the people. And by the time his ministry is done, 34 years, 1740 to 1744, it says, quote, he preached, baptized, and raised cattle and horses in the Shenandoah. He established churches, ordained elders. And then when someone asked him, how'd you do that? Meaning, how'd you get men to, how'd you train men? He says this, um, when the question was asked, how did you find so many suitable men? He wasn't that many, but he found some men that he could train. He said, quote, where I could not, C-U-D-N-A, get hewn, H-E-W-N, where I could not get hewn stains, S-T-A-N-E-S, stones, I-T-U-K, I took Dornax. Translation, where I could not get hewn stones, I took pebbles. You know what that means? He worked with the people that he could work with. They weren't big rocks, refined, but they were small pebbles that he would take and train them in the ministry. That was a good testimony right there. And so um, he walked to church with a rifle in hand and a potter horn over his shoulder. Kind of like uh, Danny Boone. Good man. A lot of people like that in church history. And he preached out against self-conceit, pride, vanity, hypocrisy, wickedness, and folly. I think he's been to Hollywood. I think he's been around that part of the world. And so he says, listen to my advice as a sincere friend, sincere friend and as a pastor. And so that was John Craig. Good man to know. I think I'm going to try to give something, a little tidbit on Sunday morning, just for a second or two, about some of these things to keep you uh, abreast of what has happened. That's very interesting and somewhat applicable in our life today. Got to see in church today. Got people missing. I don't know where they are, um, but I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad that I'm here. I'm glad that I'm healthy to be here. Uh, Nathan was feeling kind of down, sick, health-wise, and uh, went to the doctor Thursday, and then Timothy went to the doctor, uh, and of course uh, David went to the doctor and had a procedure done, and that on Thursday everything turns out okay. But uh, then I started feeling kind of lousy on Thursday and Friday, and then she felt kind of lousy because she's married to me. But uh, feeling good today. I feel kind of hungry right now, though. So, Mike, you get a long message today. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of kind of hungry, but uh, we're glad to see you in church. And uh, remind me to ask you something, Jane, about Jake before you go on today. I gotta I gotta tell you that before I forget. Okay. Uh, let's see. Okay. After Francis, after Francis does an instrumental, Mike's gonna come and preach. We have a special.
turn to Psalms chapter 1. I forgot my glasses this morning. I wear prescription sunglasses when I drive. And I didn't think it would be suitable to wear the sunglasses while I'm preaching. <laughs> so if you see me doing this and this, that's why. But it looks... I mm, I can try, but I don't know if that'll... It'll be really I'm nearsighted, so yeah, this is this not... It's not going to... Thank you. I'm nearsighted, so right now it looks like I'm underwater. Yeah, that's how blind I am. I, I, I cannot see what time it is. Although I won't go too long because I do have a watch. <laughs> but yeah, it's very blurry. I look like I'm underwater. Uh, Psalms chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What does it mean to be blessed? We see a lot in the Bible where it talks about being blessed, God blessed people. We have that phrase, blessed is the man in the Bible. You've heard the familiar saying of the phrase people say god bless america god bless america what does that mean god bless america there's a hymn that says count your blessings you know and very strange in our culture when somebody sneezes somebody says bless you or god bless you recently i was talking to a, a co-worker at work and he was talking about how he's had trouble with his um relationships and girlfriends and he's, he's a younger guy and he's talking about man i i feel like i i never want to be in another relationship again i can't figure girls out they are just so emotional and everything and the, man my last girlfriend she was just just a piece of work and and he said he said i mean she she one time she got mad at me because i didn't bless her when she sneezed <laughs> I said, yeah, stay away from that kind. Uh, why do we say God bless you when somebody sneezes? Yeah. Like, does God bless people for sneezing? I think it takes a little bit more than that for God to bless you. By the way, did you know that's based on a superstition? When somebody sneezes, I never say, God bless you, bless you. That's, that's superstitious. It's not biblical. You say, well, they might be offended. <laughs> oh, well, get over it. Uh, I'm not going to say God bless you for sneezing. But what does that mean when people say God bless you? What does it mean to be blessed? In the Bible, it says that God blessed Adam and Eve. He blessed Abraham. He blessed Jacob. He blessed other people. Uh, my text, Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, it starts out by saying, Blessed is the man. Now, what does that mean? Well, the definition of being blessed, there are a few different definitions. It means to be fortunate, blissful, pleasurable, worthy to be reverenced, bringing happiness, consecrated, or made holy. So usually when we see the word blessed or blessed, usually it's in the context of good fortune. And the title of my message this morning is Blessed is the Man. And I'm going to show you from the Bible four ways how you can be blessed from the Bible. And these are often overlooked. Number one, go to Proverbs chapter 8. Let's see, how can you be blessed? Blessed is the man, blessed is the man. Well, Proverbs chapter eight has one of the ways. Proverbs chapter eight, verse 34 says this, blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Blessed is the man that heareth me. What is the antecedent of me? People would automatically assume it's God. Uh, you could use that application, but in the immediate context, it tells us in verse 1 what the antecedent of me is. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice. So the me in verse 34, in the, this entire chapter, is wisdom personified. Wisdom 
spoken of in the form of a person. And so you could rightly say, blessed is the man that heareth wisdom. Wisdom. Did you know wisdom is more valuable than riches? If somebody gave you an option of wisdom or money, you would be much better off choosing wisdom over riches. In fact, the Bible says this very exact thing. Look at verse 10. It says, receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. Verse 11, for wisdom is better than rubies and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. Look at verse 19. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold and my revenue than choice silver. Why is that? Why is wisdom more valuable and more desirable than money, than riches? Well, if you think about it, if you have wisdom, you might have the ability to make money. And so then you will have not just wisdom, but you will have wisdom and riches. And even if you did not have riches, if you only had wisdom, your life is going to be much better off than having the riches without the wisdom. You can follow the lives of many lottery winners and you will see the end result of their lives and you will see that their lives ended up in, in ruin in much worse condition than it had been prior to them winning, winning the lottery. Did you know that money ruins many people? People who uh, come into large sums of money, whether it's inheritance or, or winning uh, a, a prize or a contest or gambling or uh, something like that, some easy, easy way to make money. Many people who end up having a lot of money, if they don't have the wisdom to handle that money, it can destroy them. With Along with money comes a lot of temptations and responsibilities and, and problems creep up. And you can see that in the lives of many people. There have been many people who become famous, athletes, celebrities, rock stars, people like that. And they inherit a lot of money. They don't have the maturity. They don't have the life experience to, to handle that money. They don't invest it. They just blow all their money and they, they end up getting themselves into these addictions and these problems that, that uh, is associated with the money. I have a book, it's called Crimes of the Rich and Famous. Crimes of the Rich and Famous. You would think somebody who's rich and famous doesn't need to resort to crime, but some of them, many of them have, and they do. They don't need the money, they already have the money. <laughs> Crimes of the Rich and Famous. And people like that, they have been found to be committing crimes just like anybody else, just like poor people. The money didn't solve some of their problems. The money actually contributed to some of their problems. What is wisdom? The Bible says, blessed is the man that heareth me, that heareth wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is not necessarily the same as knowledge. Okay. Wisdom is understanding of what is true, right, or lasting. Another definition is common sense, good judgment. A lot of people who have a lot of money do not exercise good judgment. And that is why their life ends up in addiction and suicides and divorces and all kinds of things. You read about these celebrities. Almost every other day, there's another headline of some celebrity that's going through some painful divorce and their their ex is is trying to get millions out of the, out of them in divorce court and all of that and just a, a whole life and trail of of uh, broken marriages and then broken homes and the kids ending up on drugs and all of those things uh, why is that well one reason is because they don't have the wisdom they don't have the wisdom that they need now, I said wisdom is not the same as knowledge. Wisdom is not the same as knowledge. Go to Romans chapter 1. Let me show you an example here. Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Because that when they knew God, knowledge, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They became fools, professing themselves to be wise. You know how many college professors are fools? 
many college professors, many people, many educated people have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 14, verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. There are many atheists who are educated. There are many atheists who are knowledgeable in their field. They have a lot of education and facts and knowledge about things and and uh, they've studied the, the academics and the textbooks and they've authored books and things and they have the knowledge, but that's not the same as wisdom. When it comes to their spiritual life, they're fools. Some, many times even when it comes to their personal life, they're fools. You can be very educated and very smart and even have a high IQ and have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things, but you can make very poor decisions in your personal life when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your relationships, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your children, when it comes to things like that, personal things. Uh, I've known people that were very smart and very educated and very knowledgeable in certain subjects, but, but they couldn't even balance a checkbook. I mean, they, their life was just a mess when it comes to personal things, when it comes to their, their family life, when it comes to things like that, when it, uh, their, their, their work and, and decisions and things. Why? Because they did not have wisdom. You understand? Wisdom is not the same as knowledge. What is the source of wisdom? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't fear God, you do not have wisdom. That's the very beginning. That's the basis. This says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a person who does not fear God, a person who does not even believe in God, has not even begun to have wisdom. Godly wisdom, biblical wisdom. The Bible makes a distinction, a contrast between the wisdom of, this, of the world and the wisdom of God, two different types of wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. We have the classic example of King Solomon. God appeared to Solomon. He said, what do you want? Name it. I'll give it to you. Solomon said, I want wisdom. I need to be able to discern right from wrong. I need to be able to make the right decisions as a leader of Israel as a king. And God said, okay, you've got it. In fact, I'm going to give you not just that. I'm going to give you the riches too, because you could have asked for money, but you were wise enough to ask for wisdom instead of the money. So I'll give you both of them. Uh, the source of wisdom is the beginning, the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. And of course, we know the word of God, the Bible, is the source of wisdom, the ultimate, the best source of wisdom, reading the word of God. That's why it's so important to know what the Bible says, not just about spiritual things, not just about salvation, but all kinds of things. The book of Proverbs is the greatest book in the Bible to obtain wisdom. You know, the book of Proverbs talks about money and marriage and raising kids, and work, and all kinds of practical things about this life. And if you read the Word of God, you read the book of Proverbs, and you obey the Word of God, you will have wisdom, and wisdom will enrich your life. Someone once said, true wisdom begins with a heart full of faith, not a head full of facts. A wise man learns by the experience of others. An ordinary man learns by his own experience. A fool learns by no one's experience. You ever heard somebody say, uh, it, it, um, learn, it's good to learn from your mistakes? That's true. You know what's even better than that? Learning from other people's mistakes. It'll save you a lot of trouble. If you learn from other people's mistakes, then you don't have to learn from your own mistakes. Now, I mean, it's good to learn from your own mistakes, but if you can avoid making those mistakes because you see the mistakes that other people make, then that's even wiser. Some people, they don't learn by anybody's mistakes, not even their own. Why? Because they're fools. They're fools. I've Sometimes I... Uh, you know what clickbait is? A computer... They call it clickbait because it'll be something, some ad or something that has some, uh, something that catches your eye about some strange thing in a, in a, in a picture of, oh, well, look, look what happened and this person did this. And so sometimes I come across clickbait and, it'll, it'll, and sometimes I've uh, been guilty of clicking on it uh, 
just for entertainment purposes, it will say the worst tattoo fails. You know, the people that have the dumbest tattoos, and they'll have people that have tattoos that are that have misspelled words, or or uh, somebody got a tattoo they want it to look like their their baby, and it turns out looking like an alien or a demon or something, and just just. <laughs> but you know what? I've come across some uh, a, a very common uh, tattoo that that they'll show a picture of very common and this common tattoo that people will have is no regrets no regrets or i've heard people say about their life you know what if, if i had to go back and do it all over, i don't regret anything i don't regret a single thing thing that i've ever done in my life really there's a lot of things i regret that's the talk of a fool you know, if you compare your life and everything that you've ever done with what the Bible says and you look back, you go, I don't have any regrets. Really? Well, you know, I, I can say, okay, well, maybe in that context you learn from your mistakes, Romans 8, 28, things like that. But, I mean, usually people that, that have that attitude, they think, oh, you know, I, I've never made any mistakes that I, that I regret. Well... I don't know about that one. How will you be blessed? By having wisdom. Number one, it'll make it allow you to make the right decisions. It will allow you to make the right decisions. You'll be able to avoid a lot of mistakes and avoid a lot of trouble if you have wisdom. It'll allow you to avoid mistakes concerning your job your marriage, raising your kids, your finances. And most of all, spiritually speaking, it can keep you out of hell. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Go to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. Look at verse 3. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. You put that in the context of salvation. The prudent man, the wise man, foreseeth the evil. He sees judgment coming and hideth himself, hides himself behind the cross, hideth himself behind the blood of Christ. But the simple... The fools, the people who are not wise, pass on and are punished. Nah, I don't need that. I'm good, I'm fine, and they're punished eternally in hell. Wisdom will keep you out of hell ultimately. Number two, let's look at another way that you can be blessed. Go to Psalms chapter 94. Psalms chapter 94. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man. Psalms chapter 94, verse 12. Blessed is the man. Whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. Okay, so number two, blessed is the man. You can be blessed by being chastened. Oh, we don't like that, do we? Well, you can actually be blessed. Go to Psalms chapter uh, 119. Let's look at a couple verses that correlate with this. Psalms chapter 119, verse 71. Psalms 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Let's look at one more. Job chapter 5. Job chapter 5, verse 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the, of the Almighty. Happy is the man whom God correcteth. Really? <laughs> My kids aren't happy when I chasten them, when I chastise them, at least not immediately, not at the time it's happening. They're not. Uh, what does the word chasten mean? Chastening. It means to punish either physically or morally, to chastise, to restrain, moderate, to refine, or purify. God chastened the nation of Israel. You see in the Bible, you study the history of the nation of Israel, you read the Old Testament, you see God allowed the nation of Israel to go into Gentile captivity. We see all through history God, God's form of chastising his own 
people, the nation of Israel. Why is that? We see because they disobeyed God, particularly by getting involved in idolatry and intermingling with all those, um, those pagan civilizations that God warned them against. Now, how is chastening a blessing? How is chastening a blessing? Of course, this is not a blessing that you should see, ever seek <laughs> because, like I said, you know, it's better to learn from other people's mistakes. You can learn from the mistakes of Israel in the Bible. You can learn about people in the Bible who'd made mistakes and you see how God dealt with individuals and nations. You could say, okay, I don't want that. I don't want God to have to do that to me. So I'm not going to do whatever caused that to happen. But when it does, if and when it happens, it is a blessing. Why? Well, because uh, you learn from it. God teaches you certain things. It's just like when a parent disciplines his children. It's, a, it's proof that God loves you, actually. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. It is proof that God loves you, that you are his child. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Look at verse 8. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. It proves that God loves you, and it proves that you are saved, that you are his child when God chastens you, when God chastises you. It'll teach you about God. It'll teach you about God's nature. It'll teach you that you are not in ultimate control that God is. It will teach you about sin. It will teach you that sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. God is not mocked. It will teach you about the importance of righteous living. And you know when God gives us these, these commandments in the Bible and God chastens us and things, you know, it's it's for your own good. God has your best interest at heart. When I tell my children not to do certain things or, or, or I give, give them boundaries, it's not because I want them to be miserable. It's not because I, I want them to have a, a dull, boring childhood. No, it's because I want them to be safe. I want them to be protected. I want them to be healthy. And I do want them to be happy. That is why I put these, these uh, restrictions in place in their life. And when I chastise them and when I chasten them, it's because I am teaching them and disciplining them and teaching them obedience. And with obedience comes happiness. Obeying the word of God comes happiness. The Bible says in uh, Proverbs, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Have you ever witnessed or observed children who were not disciplined in the home? You ever see how they act out in public? You ever seen a child throwing a temper tantrum out in public? And the mother just ignores it and doesn't deal with it. I'm thinking, man, what, what is wrong with you how can you allow that and if that's happening out in public what is it like in the home spoiled and you know spoiled children they're not happy they're never satisfied they're miserable the parent says well i'll let him have his own way so he'll be happy that doesn't make him happy because he 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 never has any limits and so he's never happy because he always wants more and more and more. And, and the, the parent keeps on giving him more and more and more is never enough. And he's never happy. He doesn't have any boundaries. And then when they get older, what happens? They've never been told no. So then when they're older and the boss tells them no, or the law tells them no, or somebody else tells them no, they can't accept it. What happens? Well, all kinds of things happen. They end up in prison. Prison is full of people who were never disciplined as children. I remember when I was young, growing up, teenager, there was this 
teenage boy that, that we knew, kind of hung around with once in a while. His parents were divorced, so he was always going from one parent to the other and not really staying, didn't have any stability at home and no discipline and just was able to do whatever he wanted. And I remember hearing a story, somebody said, yeah, he, he was caught smoking pot somewhere and, and the, the, the cops or some law enforcement official caught him and then he, since he was a juvenile, didn't press charges, just released him to the parents. So brought him home to his father and somebody told me, or, or no, actually he, I think he, he told it to somebody, or I can't remember, I, I heard the story secondhand where the, the cop brought him to his dad and just out of spite, because the, just to show the cop that, that he could do whatever he wanted and he, and he was never disciplined, right there when in front of the cop, when he released him to the father at night, he said, bye dad, I'm going to a party and just walked out the house and left right in front of the police officer and the dad. And the dad didn't do anything or couldn't do anything at that point. Just out of spite, just to, you know, kind of be like to the cop, just kind of in your face. <laughs> what happened to that kid? He ended up going to prison. He's not in prison any longer. He's dead. He's dead. No discipline, no chastisement, no chastisement. Now, God is merciful. Doesn't mean that God's just sitting there waiting. Okay, oh, there you are. Now I'm going to get you. Well, I mean, as a, as a good loving father, a good loving father, I don't sit there and just, okay, I'm going to wait for Nathan and Justin to uh, disobey me so I can get the belt. <laughs> now I caught them. No, of course not. God's not sadistic. God is merciful. But God is just. God is just. And when the time comes, God will have to deal out chastisement. Now, of course, nobody feels blessed during the time that it's occurring. But go to Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised Thereby, that kid, if he's chastised and chastened properly, when he he's do, he doesn't he doesn't appreciate it while it's happening. In fact, that child, there's been times where, where Nathan he's mad. <laughs> he doesn't think he deserved it. He'll be mad. He'll stay in his room and he'll pout. He doesn't want to come out of his room because he's mad at daddy or he's mad at mommy because he got a spanking. And he rightly deserved it. That kid later on, though, later on, as that child grows up, and if it's been consistent and done the right way, later on, it develops character and he'll begin to appreciate it. Because kids without chastisement, you know what happens. You've seen them. You'll be, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. When God chastens you, when God chastises you, you will be blessed. It will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your Christian life as you grow and mature spiritually. Number three, here's another way you can be blessed. Go to James chapter one. James chapter one, verse 12. Here we see it again. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man that what? Endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Now, the word temptation in the Bible is not always an enticement to sin. Most of the time when we hear the word temptation, we think, oh, tempted, I'm tempted to sin, tempted to sin. Sometimes the word temptation is used in that context. Other times it's referring to trials, trials. In fact, look at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Trial, trial, trying. Did you know the Bible says God tempted Abraham and then in a cross-reference, cross it says that God tried Abraham. 
God did not tempt Abraham to sin. In fact, God does not tempt anybody to sin. Contrary to what some people say, God does not tempt anybody to sin. How do we know that? Look at verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Now, what's the context here? Is it a trial or is it solicitation to sin? To sin. God does allow people to go through trials. The Bible says God tempted Abraham. Not to sin, though. That temptation was in the form of a trial. In this context, he's talking about tempting to sin. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God does not tempt any man to sin. He does tempt them in the form of trials, not to sin, though. Verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, you don't need God to tempt you to sin. You have enough temptation just from your own flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the main sources of temptation. Your flesh is the, the main one. God does not tempt you to sin. He will, however, allow you to be tempted to sin. Whatever happens, nothing can happen without God allowing it to happen. doesn't mean God wants it to happen, but God will allow certain things to happen. And God does tempt people sometimes by trying them, by testing them, not to sin them. Two different ways that word is used. Now, everybody experiences trials. Job says, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Job endured terrible, terrible trials and temptations. Some people, they have trials in the form of their health, health problems. Some people have financial problems. Some people have marriage problems. Somebody have, some people have problems with the kids. Some people suffer from all kinds of things, loneliness, uh, school hardships, trying to get an education, death of a loved one. All kinds of things. Some people suffer from mental anguish and depression and things like that. There's all kinds of different trials and temptations. Some people bring it upon themselves. Other people, it's just, that's just how the dice was rolled. That's the, the, the cards they were dealt in life. And so God allows certain people to go through temptations. God actually puts people through certain temptations. I remember when I went to Bible college in in the mainland, and there was a point where I was going through a really, really difficult trial. I was suffering from insomnia. I mean, it, it was to the point where I felt like I, I, for days, I was I was only getting a couple hours of sleep a night, and I felt like I was just a zombie. Like I, it was. I thought, man. I will never be able to catch up on my sleep. I feel, like, I feel like I've lost so much sleep. I feel like even if I slept for a whole week, I wouldn't catch up on my sleep. I felt like I was never going to feel normal again. I was so out of it. I felt like I, it was even dangerous to drive. I'd be driving and I'd have to remind myself, red means stop and green means go. I mean, I was out of it. And I could not get a good night's sleep for about a whole, you know, weeks at a time. And I remember one morning I was so relieved because I, when I woke up in the morning, the sun was up. And I thought, oh, I can't believe it. This is the first time in several nights that I didn't wake up before the sun rose. I think I woke up at 6.30 a.m. And that was the, the longest I had slept in nights. Well, some of you might think, oh, that's no big deal. That's, that's, that's my life right now. <laughs> well, you know, you try getting three hours of sleep uh, every night for a few weeks, and I don't know about you. I don't know how some people, some people they can do that. I, to me, I was, it was just, it was a trial. It was a trial. And, uh, Thankfully, I finally got back to a, a normal sleeping pattern. Now, what you want to make sure you do or don't do is when you are 
going through some sort of trial or, or a temptation as a testing or a trial or a hardship in your life, run to God. Don't run away from God. Many people, Amen. many people, they will seek to, instead of endure it, they want to escape it. Yeah. It's a natural human tendency because everybody wants to be comfortable, right? Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. The problem is, though, many times people, they will turn to a sinful remedy. Oh, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like how I'm feeling. I don't like this position. I don't like... Uh, so I need I need to get out of this. I want to feel comfortable, or I need money, and I need money fast. And I, what can I do? And the world says, "Here, here you go." Oh, you don't like that? Oh, here, here you go. Here's an easy fix. Here's an easy way out. And God's trying to mold your character like a potter in the clay. And the world says, "Nah, nah, don't. You don't have to do that. Here, here you go. Just take this. Just drink this. Just smoke this. Just here you go." Escape, escape, escape. And the Bible says, no. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You don't endure the trial and temptation. You don't get the blessing. You ever heard this phrase, no cross, no crown. Jesus said, let him take up his cross, deny himself daily and follow me. Now, how are you blessed? How do you experience a blessing? The Bible says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. How? How do you get a blessing by enduring temptation? Well, it says, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Uh, here's um, some other ways. You can obtain victory over sin. Okay? You, now, in temptation in the sense that not a trial, although this can be a trial, it's kind of like a double, double temptation. You can be tempted to sin. And instead of yielding to that temptation, you endure it. You have a, a godly substitute or whatever it takes to endure that. And then you gain victory over sin. That's a blessing. Why is that a blessing? Because sin brings about misery in your life. How about spiritual character? Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let's look at this verse that deals with this. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that the tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Of course, we all know Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When you endure temptation and trials, Romans 8, 28 is fulfilled. It doesn't say that every single thing that happens to you is good. It says we know that all things work together for good. Think of somebody baking a cake. Think of somebody that has to mix all these ingredients. Flour and the egg and the sugar and the cocoa powder and vanilla extract and all of these. Each one of those things, if you were to eat it, by itself in its raw form, would it taste good? <laughs> no. I remember when I was a little kid looking at my, my mom's uh, spice rack and I remember she had some you know, cinnamon and vanilla extract and I opened that little bottle of the vanilla, smelled it. Oh man, that smells so good. That vanilla extract, well, it must taste good too. Well, it wasn't sweet, it didn't have any sugar in it. And I remember I the little cap and I poured some in that little cap and <coughs> no didn't taste good not by itself cocoa powder unsweetened cocoa powder smells great doesn't it smells like a chocolate candy bar or a brownie or something you ever tasted that it's so bitter without any sugar so each one of those ingredients when you're baking and mixing a cake each one of those ingredients is not good by itself, but when you mix it all together and then you have a cake as the end result or brownies or whatever you're baking, all things work together for good. Yes, together for good. And in your Christian life, all things work together for good, including some of these things that I've been talking about this morning. 
Okay, last one. Last one. Go to Romans chapter 4. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Romans chapter 4. And look at verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. What does that word impute mean? Imputation. Look at verse 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's what imputation is. Counted. Transferred to your account. Counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham was not righteous it, because not necessarily uh, for what he did in his life, although he did do some good things. But the Bible says that God counted it to him for righteousness. Why? For believing God. In the New Testament, you are not saved by your own righteousness. You are saved by the righteousness, righteousness of God. Your own righteousness is not good enough. Now, when you get saved, your sin is imputed to Jesus Christ at Calvary and his righteousness, God's righteousness is imputed to you. It is a transaction. It is a trade-off. The Bible says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins, though your sins be what? Red as scarlet. They shall be what? White as wool. Though they, 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 uh, though they be crimson, they shall be as wool. Though, or though they be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. So your sins, the book, if you have every single sin that you committed on the, written on this board and God just erases it and wipes it clean, he gives you his righteousness. Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. That's what imputation is. The Bible says, he hath made him to be sin who know no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What if I said, you need this wallet in order to go to heaven. And you need to have this exact wallet with this con these contents. You need to have this driver's license with this number and this picture, which is me, and these credit cards and these bills in here with these exact serial numbers. Is there, and, a, and a, for, a counterfeit will not qualify. Is there anybody in the world that has this exact wallet right here with my driver's license and my credit card and these dollar bills with those serial numbers? There is nobody in the world that has the, an, an identical wallet like this that I'm holding right here. Out of the billions of people in the world, nobody has this exact same wallet with these contents in it. And I say, you have to have this, this one, exactly like this in order to get to heaven. You say, well, then nobody can get to heaven. Not under those terms, they cannot. Now, what if I give this to you? And I say, you need that to get to heaven. Now do you have it? Now can you get to heaven? Yep. If I give it to you, then you can. Now, on your own, there's no way you can do it. There's no way you can obtain this other than stealing it. You understand? And God says, you, need, you want to get to heaven? Okay, you need my righteousness. Do you have it? No. Can you work for it? If you dedicated your life to go overseas and help the poor and go to India and these the, the poorest countries in the world and go and, and all these humanitarian uh, deeds and all of these things and be the best person you could possibly be and give all your riches to the poor and all of that, would that give you God's righteousness? Nope. Why? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter what you do, you'll never be as good as God. And without God's righteousness, you cannot get to heaven. Then how can anybody get to heaven? God says, okay, I will give you my righteousness. Now you qualify. And God gives you his righteousness when you trust in his son, what he did at Calvary. He takes your sin and puts it on his son and he gives you his righteousness. There was a soldier who was injured in Iraq and he decided to give his purple heart, purple heart, the, the metal that they earn when they're wounded and 
called that he gave his Purple Heart to a 13-year-old girl who had won a contest for writing letters to the troops. He was so impressed by that 13-year-old girl, he said, I'm going to give you my Purple Heart. Very honorable medal that somebody can earn in, in the military. It's kind of like imputation. She didn't earn that. She was never wounded in combat. But he gave it to her. He gave it to her. God gives you his righteousness. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The Bible says Christ was wounded for our transgressions. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's the greatest blessing you could ever imagine. If you are a guilty sinner, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and knowing that as a sinner that you are lost, that you, the Bible describes the, the condition of a lost man without hope and without God in this world, dead in trespasses and sins. He that believeth not is condemned already. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If then when we were enemies of God, we shall be reconciled unto him. An enemy of God, under God's wrath, condemned, lost, without hope and without God in this world. And God says, give me your sin. Here's my righteousness. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And then your eternal home is heaven. Your eternal home is heaven. There was, I told you this before, there was a Japanese, very wealthy Japanese, a billionaire, who gave keys to low-income families here in Hawaii to live in rent-free mansions in Kahala. <laughs> How's that? Dirt poor, can't afford rent, on the verge of being homeless. Here's this billionaire, he has money coming out of his ears. He says, here you go, here's the keys. You can live in this mansion in Kahala, wealthy neighborhood, for free. Not only, not only do you not have to pay rent, you're not going to be living, you know, it's not Section 8. <laughs> you're living in a mansion in Kahala. How's that? What a trade-off. What a contrast. God says, give me your sin, and I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to rescue you from hell and you're going to live in New Jerusalem. Blessed is the man. Do you want to be blessed this morning? I think everybody does. Are you willing to do what it takes to be blessed? According to the word of God, I've given you four ways to be blessed. Four different ways to be blessed. Hearing wisdom. Enduring chastening. Enduring temptation. And not having your sin imputed to you. Those are just four ways. There's many other ways you can be blessed according to the word of God. But I've given you four, just four ways to be blessed this morning. I wonder if there's somebody here who may be missing a blessing. Missing out on a blessing. That would be a terrible thing if God has these blessings. And he does. He has all these blessings for his children. And I wonder if maybe somebody here is missing out on a blessing that God has for them simply because they're not doing what God has instructed them to do in order to receive that blessing. I wonder if maybe somebody is overlooking some of these things as a way to be blessed. That would be a terrible thing. I remember hearing a testimony of this young woman who got saved out of a life of she was, I don't want to go through the details, but uh, she was involved in some sinful things in her past. And she got up as a young Christian and got up in front of a large congregation and gave her testimony. And she said, if you aren't saved, it's like you're ripping yourself off. You're ripping yourself off. And if you're not doing what God has said to do in order to get a blessing, in a sense, you're ripping yourself off. You're missing out. God has something good for you, for your Christian life. Yeah, sometimes it might not be very comfortable, but it's worth it in the long run. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the word of God and these reminders about blessing.
Blessed is the man. I pray that everybody here would not overlook any of these ways to be blessed and, and that they would receive the, the full blessing, that they would be happy, fortunate, fruitful, prosperous Christians that you would have them to be, that they would continue to seek after after you and, and obey the word of God so that they can grow spiritually and that they will heed and take heed to your will and your word in Jesus' name, amen.